Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Bring your mic. So, look at that. Yeah, bring it to the other side of you. There you go. Yeah. That way we can see. We didn't do this with anybody else. They just walked up and they're like, can't see their face or anything. He didn't care. For you, apparently, it's special. No, we just got to make sure we send it to Cass. Yeah. I didn't tell him I was doing this. Good. On purpose. Good. I'm actually going to put it on Instagram and tag him. Yeah, that's good. As like, <laughs> I'm going to tell him as I'm telling everybody else. Like, yeah. Oh, I talked a lot about you on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I know, right? Introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Ethan Ross. I'm the uh, service manager at Chote Diesel Solutions. Uh, we're a division of Chote Engineering Performance, which is a diesel engine remanufacturer, parts manufacturer out of uh, Bolivar, Tennessee. <laughs> I, it's weird to hear you say that because it's supposed to be Wattville, Tennessee, but, you know, I get it. It's not Wattville anymore. I know. It's but Wattville. I mean, like. It's also not Bolivar, which is. Everybody else says, I, you know, it's weird because like I met Cass. Yeah. Like, gosh, seven or eight years ago. Right. And that w- we became friends then. Yeah. And now here we are all these years later. And like from what it was then, like he was fixing appliances. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow we met. Right. Like, yeah. I, I think it was something about a diesel truck. And, and so like we've been friends for years. Um, You reached out a while back mm-hmm. and you said, he reached out. Yeah. And he said, hey, will you talk to Ethan? I said, sure, I'll talk to Ethan. And uh, it's been an interesting journey since then. To, to say the least. You want to tell us about it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm no, going no, to. No, you go ahead. Start from where you started from a minute ago about what you were doing before you got into automotive. Oh, okay. How far back do you want? Uh, I mean, maybe when... Where were you born? Yeah, exactly. Jackson, Tennessee. <laughs> it's about 45 minutes from Bolivar. Um, Bolivar? Bolivar. Not, not, what it's was not it? It's not Bolivar. Bolivar? Yeah. I mean, I think it's Spanish. I think it's probably named after Simone Bolivar, but... I, well, I the accent's over Bolivar. the A in Bolivar. Yeah, the accent's over the A, so you're supposed to put the accent in the thing. Yeah. And yeah. how would you say it, David? On Bolivar? I don't know. See? There you go. That's the same way. Bolivar's yeah. right. You gotta you gotta sound a little bit more like Lucas when you say it though. Bolivar. Bolivar. What was the other town you said to change its name to something? Hmm. Well, they they were in Whiteville, Tennessee. In what? Whiteville. 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 Whiteville, Tennessee. No, 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 no. Whiteville. It's Whiteville. Talking gibberish. <laughs> Talking mountain. Yeah. Talking mountain. We're from the mountains, bro. So so somebody tried to 
mimic your accent yesterday. Yeah. I was like, that's just Texas. That's not, there's not just one Southern accent. There's a bunch of different ones. That's it. Yeah. I can only do Texas. I can only do a certain kind of Texan yeah. when I try to mimic his voice. John. He appreciates it. Yeah. I, I bet he does. <laughs> Start calling you John Fern Jr. John, I can't do John Fern. John Fern's his own like entity. Yeah. I can't do, I can't do his voice. John yeah. Fern is awesome. He is. All right, so, so you were born in Tennessee, yes, and then went to the army. Well, I went to college first when I was eighteen. Okay, I, I fell down. I had a full ride, and I lost all my scholarships. And my parents were like, uh, "You know, we'll pay for it. Don't worry." And I was like, "I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. This yeah. that's stupid. Let me just let me join the army." Then my mom started crying. I was like, "Let me join the army. Get some direction." <laughs> I said, "This was in 2000, 2009, so things were pretty hot still in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and." So she cried a lot, and then she said, okay, because she realized that was probably the best decision for my life. And uh, yeah, I was a tank gunner, and I uh, was in Korea for a couple of years. Uh, met my my former wife there, and uh, had a daughter, and moved back here um, in 12, and then 13, I got out completely, finished my contract, went back to Cookville, Tennessee. Not Cookville, Cookville. And uh, <laughs> big difference. Went bro. back to college at Tennessee Tech, and um, was a history major this time. So it went way better. So I've actually got a bachelor's in history. Um, so I was a full time police officer, a full time student. Um, that was a tough four years. It was exhausting. Um, had a, had a son then too, and after that, graduated in sixteen, and in seventeen, I went to Virginia to Washington and Lee Law School, and. Um, what, what, why did you go that direction? Because my advisor pushed me to it. I wanted a PhD in history. I just wanted to be a, I wanted to wear a tweed and be a history professor yeah. and have a funny looking mustache like <laughs> Ken Bullard. See, that, that makes sense. If you want to be like, I want to be, I want to teach history, so I'm going to go major in history. Yeah. It's like, I want to be a professor. Mm-hmm. I thought, because I had such an incredible experience. I had such a supportive experience there mm-hmm. that I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to help these kids that are, you know, because. 20 year olds aren't kids, aren't adults anymore. Yeah. yeah They're no, kids. No. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to do. And my advisor was like, dude, I did that. Don't do it. Don't make, <laughs> don't make that mistake. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, what should I do? He said, go to law school. He said, it's three years, not six to 10. Like, well, that does make sense fiscally. Yeah. 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 Also looking at, you know, six figures for what I wanted to do. So I wanted to do um, international contract negotiations. So that was. That was pretty cool, and that's that's a lucrative field yeah, to be sure. in. Definitely. Um, I got divorced um, shortly after going to law school and had a bunch of personal issues. So after the second year, I moved back to West Tennessee. Um, kind of lived in my car for a few weeks and bounced around to some family members, got a job in a factory, um, weighing up raw materials for plastics, which is super, super carcinogenic. So I don't recommend that if you guys yeah. are thinking about that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, uh, met my now wife. Uh, she got me a job in construction with her dad. So I was building bridges in West Tennessee, which was, which was pretty fun. I was operating track hoes and stuff like that. And, uh, but I was working with her father-in-law and it's not ever good to, not ever good to do that really. Yeah. So I, uh, my, my Sunday school teacher actually, his name's Adam. He's a great guy. One of the best people I know said, uh, you know, I've got, I know this guy, his name's Castro. He's down in Bolivar. He said, he's always hiring somebody. He builds diesel engines. You want to try? And I was like, 
that sounds manly. Let's right. go do that. Right. Like what that's the, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. He took me down there like the next day yeah. and Cass said, Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Took me through the plant and said, when can you start? And so that was that was pretty cool. Right. I went from, went from being in law school, wearing suits, going to D.C., all these functions and stuff like that, to in a factory, getting disgusting every day. Right. And now, now I've got actually a got a good job and a, and what I is an awesome industry. So uh, let's break this down a little bit. Oh, great! Because my recollection of events after meeting Cass was a little bit different than yours. <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, so I remember when you got made service manager, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You had never been a service manager. I don't know if you caught on to like the rest of the story. You had never been a service Mm-mm. manager. I, no, I, no. I, I had a couple of soldiers under me when I was in the army and I ran a few organizations in law school. Mm-hmm. That was it. Right. But I told Cass I had leadership experience. <laughs> but you had never been like <laughs> in automotive at all. Right. No. <laughs> I think he knew it. Maybe he knew it. Maybe he knew it. Maybe he knew it. I think everybody throws that term out very loosely. Leadership experience. Yeah, I've got I've got leadership experience. Like, okay, I did yeah. have two soldiers under me as a tank gunner, so go. that's that's leadership but experience. Listen, just because you were sitting on top of them does not mean they were. Under it had also been wise. ten years since I had done that, right? And I was yeah. like a twenty-one year old. It's much different. Yes, yeah. I'd forgotten all that, and and I don't know if you know this, but leadership changes when you have a gun in your hands. Right, it, does, it yeah, really does. Super it's, easy. It, it is. Right. I mean, people listen way better. Yeah, you know. Well, they league... experience that. No, <laughs> you've never threatened your employees with a gun. Uh, I have not ever thrown threatened my employees okay. with a gun. So what you said earlier before we started recording that was that just was, a lie. That was, that <laughs> that was just that was not lie. true. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't try to fluff up my stories. You're looking at Lucas like he does. Oh, I definitely. Oh, no. He fluffs every story (laughs) out. Yeah, every. So huge. Huge. Um, It's huge. So I I remember 
the telephone call. Yeah. With Cass. Right. Mm-hmm. And boys, he was stressed out. Yeah. And, and and for those that don't know Cass, like Cass is a is overachiever the best word? Like, dude, he is at it. I mean, his entire life, he's just like been at it. Because I mean, yeah, he went from appliances to a diesel shop. And the diesel shop was this little tiny, like nothing shop. Yeah. And like overnight, Cass is like, I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to grow. Yeah. Then they had the first little one. And he's like, dude, I'm on this, right? Like, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. And and it was like, dude, I, overnight. And yeah. he's been very successful, <clears throat> right? Yeah. He started under a tree Yeah, in his parents' driveway. Yeah. Fixing appliances. Fixing. That's when he started trucks. Yeah. Started fixing trucks under a tree. And the was reason he started. Wildly with, successful fixing appliances. Yeah. 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 He's been wildly successful at everything he's touched. Everything I don't know he if touches. he's just like super lucky or what. He's just he's un, he's insatiable. Yeah. And, and unstoppable. Literally like he he doesn't stop. He just works. Yeah. 24/7. I mean, he's literally work 24/7. It's it hard to get out of bed this morning. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I and little, I guarantee he's at work. Now. <laughs> I guarantee he's at work. Oh, absolutely. Right. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Cass is at work. Yeah. <sighs> I, I and I it, interestingly enough, I think it's a culture thing. I think it was the way he was raised in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was. His parents never stopped either. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, and there's a lot of people in like our little area of the country that are like that. And I mean, there's people like that everywhere. Yeah. But I mean, that was what you, that's what you did there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that, I tell you about my parents, right? Up until my mom got sick, she worked seven days a week, 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's what she wanted to do. It wasn't like it was a chore. It wasn't like she didn't want to do it. She loved doing it. My dad, like right now, he'll be at work. Right? Yeah, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I guarantee it. And my dad actually worked in that factory I was talking about. Yeah, that's how I got that job. And uh, it sounds like a lot of nepotism in this story. Just edit all that out. Anyway, um, yeah, he he's hitting. He hit 35 years yeah. a couple of years ago, and he's retiring this year, right? Because he's like he physically can't do anything anymore. Almost. Yeah. But yeah, 37 years now in this company. That's crazy. And he worked six days a week. I remember growing up six days a week. He didn't work every Saturday when I was a kid. He does now. Yeah. But yeah, six days a week, hard work. Goes in it. I think he wakes up at 4.30. He wakes up at four in the morning, drives an hour to work, and doesn't get home until five. And I, I mean, that's really the story of Blue Collar America. Yeah. Right? I like that. That is that's Absolutely. pretty consistent with Blue Collar America around the world, right? Or around the, around the country. Um, and it's not just the South. I just uh, think the the saturation is a lot higher in the South. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. So now I'm not casting aspersions on the Midwest. Is that where we are right now? Is this the Midwest? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very mid, like square in the. Yeah. We're almost dead in the middle, aren't we? <laughs> I think this is as far west as I've been in America. Really? Except for my layover in San Francisco. You went Korea. pretty far west when you went to Korea. Yeah, that's pretty far west. <laughs> yeah, about as west as west gets. Yeah. Yeah. That was in the air, though. I didn't, Although I think I didn't that's technically that. east because you cross over the international date line. So I think that's yeah, super I, east. I flew west, but it's considered <laughs> east. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, Cass is stressed out because he's put you in a position. Yeah, and really quickly, I think there was and and Cass. Like what Cass does resonates with me because I'm bad to do the same thing. Yeah. Right. Like I get enamored with the next thing. Here, 
you do this, mm-hmm. right? Like you do this job now without without making sure like that has that that person has that under control. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm off doing my own thing. Yeah, and I just expect them to like here. You got it now. Take care of it. Bye. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it, it, part of that kind of resonates with this story. In the same respect, like you, you were super frustrated too. It wasn't just Cass. Yeah. You were both pretty frustrated. Tell a little bit about what was happening. So I actually took over in, I believe, March of last year. So it's been it's been right at a year now that I've been doing this job. Um, and pretty quickly, he realized that I wasn't going to be able to turn a profit because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to manage workflow. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to price things. I was... The, the last person who had quit didn't didn't leave the SOPs yeah. where I could find them, which is, that's that's tough. It's tough to come yeah. into that with, no, and they, they trained me as best they could, but they're busy too. Yeah. So I just kind of was like, all right, there's a phone. There's your computer. Let's go. Right. So he called you pretty quickly after. Yeah. And uh, you were in a tough software. You were in a, in a really hard to use software. Yeah. Um, you had two softwares. Yeah, and and I remember the one of the first things that we discussed is a you had no experience, but b like you you kind of had numbers you were being held accountable to, but then the engine shop was sending work that was not contributing in some ways to those numbers, right? Yeah, we had to we had to really iron that out. So back then we were all one company. It was all children engineering performance, and we just had I was the service manager of the head of the service department, and. I guess previously it had kind of been ironed out how how the service side could make a profit while doing a lot of the engine building company's work, but by the time I took over, it was I was not able to generate profit from doing the engine installs, um, which was very frustrating. Yeah, very frustrating. And I did, but I didn't know. I'd never run a business before. I'd never tried to earn a profit before. I'd never. I'd never had to deal with people that weren't legally required to do what I said. Yeah. Because in the army, they, they have to, they'll go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. My text didn't. They, <laughs> right? yeah. We could just quit. Yeah. And so that was terrifying to me too. Cause Bolivar's a small town. Yeah. And now I realize like you can attract, you can attract talent from other places. If you're, yeah. if you have a good company culture and if you're paying them enough money, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, but I was scared. I was like, I'm going to lose my text if I push them too hard, and which I'm sure every, yeah, everybody it's feels, a common thing feels that, yeah. yeah. So he called you, y'all had a long talk, and then he told me, he gave me your number, and said you were real, really prominent in the industry, had your shop ran really good numbers, and uh, you were the guy to go to. You actually ran ASOG, and I wasn't familiar with that. Obviously, I didn't know anything about the industry, right? So I called you. You were super personable, super personable. Um, but then you find out he has terrible numbers, doesn't run right. ASOG, mm-hmm. and he's mediocre at best. Yeah, David. Yeah. David Medi- actually mediocre. does everything. Yes. David. David is the true yeah. elite. Yeah, yeah. He carries all that talent <laughs> in that beard. I'm. No, I'm. Exactly uh, I'm. It's dripping out. It's like, I'm dripping more out. mediocre say. than mediocre. <laughs> I, know, I, I didn't even make it. At mediocre, best, bro. <laughs> at best, we're mediocre. Yeah. 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 Um. So. So. Really quickly, I think we figured out that hey, you felt overwhelmed. Yes, and and I, I, one of the things like I remember my journey of improving my shop, like trying to find my way. Yeah, one of the big ones was what do I expect from a technician, and that was one of the big conversations that we had. 
Yeah. It's like you didn't know what to expect from them. Yeah, exactly. And and there had never been any accountability, right? Like we talk about treating techs better, and that's awesome. Techs should be treated better. But there also has to be some type of accountability, right? Like who's making sure they're doing a good job? Who's making sure that they're um that they're productive? And and even in like in David's case, David's not too worried about hitting a certain number of hours, right? Like it, once you once you well, hit we the need pace, to hit the number of hours and after that it's whatever. Right. And that number for David's fairly low. Like he's okay with that. But the point is is like he's talking to them it's about manageable. That You're gonna give my text a complex. They were like, oh, Lucas says we do low numbers. No, I just need an acceptable level of performance. Your boys don't listen to this. Shit. Uh, that's what, it's that was manageable. I, they, they, they absolutely do. They I listen don't. to this podcast. Yeah. Huh. I have one that listens like on Spotify and the other ones listen on YouTube. Are they a sponsor? Who? Spotify. No. Okay. Uh, he listens on Spotify. He's got a Spotify. Account. What, what yeah. you don't know is, is all four listeners are his texts. <laughs> <laughs> he, he threatened. Them, and actually. now my wife, yeah, my wife now listens. So I, we have five listeners now. Oh, that's pretty sweet. That my is. wife will probably listen to this one. Oh, cool! So we got six yeah. now. Yeah, hot dog. Man, we're moving up in the world. Yeah, I just started an don't Instagram. Joke about those like, numbers. We have sponsors now. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> hey, you sit on a podcast. You only have six listeners. What are you guys feeding us? These numbers. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. I just started Instagram, and I've got like fifty six followers. Oh shop. man! And I was like, okay, this is sad. I got to do something. <laughs> uh, we're, hey, turn them all into listeners. That's what's uh, there. You that's go. Going to happen. So what we need to do. Um, There's a guy that uh, that grows small business like Instagram accounts and TikTok accounts, and his his whole thing is just got to post something every day. Yeah, Who, and everybody that? asks him. They're like, "What do you mean every day? Every day?" And he's like, "Yeah, every day, every day." He's like, "Consistency and the content will get better over time because you'll yeah. kind of get a feel of what people are asking." Right. But you got to post every day. If you post every day, and he posts his numbers, and these are like random businesses, mm -hmm. Bob Schmo chiropractic, yeah, uh, you know offices, and he'll grab their account, and he'll go from fifty six followers to ten thousand five hundred followers in three months, and they ask him like, "What do you do?" Oh, we just post every day, right? So, so Lucas. Need you posting every day. So Carolyn, TikTok dances. Who who has time to post something like that every day? Carolyn. Well, sixty seconds. My, our our my shop social media manager. Sixty seconds though is is all you've got to do. the The hard part is coming up with what what to talk about. Yeah, but you get somebody like Justin Allen who's who seems to be able to find something to talk about. In almost every situation, he's like, "Oh, I can do a live real quick." Just yeah, I think I could do that because uh, the nature of our work is is just interesting. Because we're not a general service shop, right? Yeah. So everything, but is even then, even in a general service shop, I think in our minds, we have something that comes in and it's you know just a, it's making this weird clanking noise or you know it it has an exhaust rattle and we look at it and we're like, "Oh yeah, heat shield loose." And then out the door goes, but somebody who doesn't know anything about cars, they hear that rattle and they think, my car's falling apart. Panicking, yeah. I'm yeah. going to die. And all it is is a piece of metal just well, shaking. You know, I've not really worked 
shop marketing pros is working my social media pretty aggressively, but I like I'm not taking them videos like I should be and and working that aspect right because I've been busy. But um, like the the loose wheel deal, right? We had a car come in the other day that he said, "Hey, I've got this noise and the wheels were loose." That's been a super popular video. You know what I mean? Hmm. It, it took off just because hey, something people think about from time to time, you know? And it, it, it wasn't like a complex video. It was literally Ryan holding, it, it was a DVI video that I sent her, right? And so Ryan's holding a camera and I'm reaching up and tightening the lug nuts by hand, right? Yeah. Saying, hey, this is what's wrong with your car. And that was more than enough for them to take it and make something out of it, you know? That makes sense though. That, that makes, we had an exhaust manifold, same way. Yeah. The guy's like, man, I'm not building any boost. No right. boost at all. And Imagine so, that. Yeah. We got in there as soon as it got cooled off, which took, you know, four hours. Uh, got up there and literally could turn the exhaust manifold balls by hand. Right. Of course, then one of them snapped off. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I wasn't even there. <laughs> so that was an upsell. Well, so from from that point, we discussed, A, getting you some help. Yes. Right? First just, and foremost, like immediately. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's more than like what simple little advice can fix. Yeah. Right? Simple little advice is not going to solve that problem. Right. right. You can listen to a podcast. You can listen to whatever. But it can't solve an entire lack of experience or And And no system. Yeah. Right? Like, no system, right? Because and it's you, not on Cass. Like, it's not no. his fault there wasn't a system there. He he had a bunch of stuff on his plate. I mean, he's a CEO with his hand in everything, every single yep. part of the business. And he's still got it like that, but he didn't. I, well, I don't know this guy, so I can say that it's absolutely his fault. He sort of screwed you by setting you up for failure. But, I, uh, you know, it's not an isolated incident. We can say yeah. it that way. It's This is very common. Yeah. They see college degree, military experience, obviously world-traveled, smart. Oh, they can manage this. It's not yeah. that hard. Never taking into account that I've already got X amount of years and I've already been through the fire on this. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. They should be able to figure it out. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Go. We've all done it. Now you were right on everything except the college experience. Mm. Yeah. I think you saw that as a detriment because he dropped out of co- He dropped out of school. Yeah. To, to start working. Yeah. But he's got it. He's, he's um, a freak. And yeah, so that's a good time. It's not. <laughs> well, I mean, you, I, you just, he's, he's not wrong. No, he's not. Definitely. Well, not. So, somebody that can, that can grow a business and then just shift, fields all of a sudden and just and then grow another business that that person is is made out that way like yeah it's instinctual it, for them they know it, it's a gut feel thing for them they know how to make the right calls over and over and over again yeah and they'll he could close down everything go open restaurants and he'll do the same thing he'll be successful at that and he that, that is absolutely every time. that is absolutely the truth about it and yes. some people are wired that way well and, and the most of us are not the the people that are wired that way because we we live life through our lens we live mm-hmm. life through our experiences they just assume everybody else has had the same experience unless you really slow down and like yeah. stop yourself it's easy to assume that you had the same experience he did or not necessarily experience when on paper experience but you had the same ability he had, right? Well, this is easy, yeah, right? And it's not, but but from his perspective, it's easy. So he sh- thinks it should be easy for you too. He said that to me almost verbatim before. You know, right. I, he says, I look around and I expect people to know exactly what I know. He said, I'm realizing that they don't. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, do you think? 
<laughs> it's not even the knowledge too. It's the attitude. It's the it's the approach to work. It's we had somebody in the in the Facebook group. Um, I think it was Rosie. Maybe was her name. And you see some of her responses, and it it, it was the it was the classic five percenter. It's like, you, dear, you're a five percenter. Yeah, you make up five percent of the population. The way you approach work, business, life is unique to a small subset of the population. Yeah. Everybody else is different. <laughs> yeah. They need structure. They need processes. Mm-hmm. They need a framework. They need guardrails. They need all that. And they need continuous feedback, praise, correction. They need all those things. Right. That's 95% of the population. You like you can uh, motivate yourself, self-motivator. You see what needs to be done. You just take action and go. A really small subset of people. Yeah. And I would say Cass is even in like that half a percent. Oh, yeah. Or he's a different level. I mean. He's even, even yeah. a different level. You get to the – a five percenter starts their own business. Yeah. Because they, they're they like, I, I can't have someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. I can't yeah. have those guardrails. So you start your own business. Right. But then there is even on top of that – I call them empire builders. Yeah. Oh, like Sean O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, th- that That's Sean cast. O'Brien's a, a guy who owns a shop. He he had a shop in, I think, Parsons, Kansas, yep. which is this like dirt town in the middle of nowhere, right? There's a Walmart there. That's yeah. what he has. He builds his business up, closes it. I think he closed it or moved it or did something. I don't know. He's got four shops now. That, that guy, the minute I met him, I'm like, he's going to own like 10 shops. You yeah. can just tell. Some, some people are just driven like that. Yeah. And nothing will get in his way. Absolutely nothing will get in his way. He'll just make it happen. Yeah. Or I'm looking at it going, man, that's a lot of work. I want to sleep in on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Cass is exactly like that. And yeah. it's so much that he he has to bring people in just to harness some of that energy. Yeah. yeah. It's literally what it feels like. Yeah. It, it. I won't say who says this, but some people say that, like they just get nervous being around him. Mm-hmm. Not that he makes them nervous. It's just he's got. Oh no! You know, he's yeah. almost like vibrating with it. Yeah. He, and people, people have a certain gravitas. They yeah. give off a certain vibe, and, and it is very intimidating for Absolutely. a lot of people. Very intimidating for a lot of people. But you know, that's and some people find it magnetic. Yeah, it was They're, exciting for me. Yeah, I was like, this guy's. Uh, he's a rocket ship. Grab on. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, absolutely. And at first, it felt like. I think that where, where you're getting to is that rocket ship didn't feel like it was going up anymore. It felt like it was sh- plunging straight into the earth. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you were hanging on to a tail fin mm-hmm. wobbling in yeah. the air next to the like, flames. Like yeah. this. Yeah. Well, and, and so tell us about the next step, right? Because yeah. like things are not what they were six months ago, right? Like you've no. seen some tremendous change and, and, and there's things that still need to be improved. We know the numbers need some work. We know yeah. some other stuff needs some work. Kind of my first recommendation was, is like, Hey, there's there's such a devoid of process. There's such a devoid of anything here. Like we we can see the majority of the problems. Yeah, but we've got to we've got to get a software that you can use and you can manage, right? Mm-hmm. And so we went we went, got him to Shopware, which is a whole lot easier. It's more you guys didn't even tell me to. Right. I listened to your podcast. Shopware was a sponsor, and I thought, okay, Lucas seems to know what he's talking about. Cast trust him implicitly. Shopware is a sponsor of his podcast. That's all I needed to try it. 
Yeah. I was, I, I mean. And that's a wrap, boys. We're done. <laughs> Cut that. Let's go. <laughs> so I am a little gullible, I guess, too. Right. Definitely. But, oh, yeah. don't add that in. Well, no, okay. no. No, no. I'll, I'll round it off. You nicely. ruined it. I'll, I'll finish it nice. Okay. I'll, I'll bring it full circle. So I tried them for a month and I was yeah. like, this is it. Yeah. Because I, I was running two softwares. Yeah. And I told him when I when I canceled my other ones, because I'm I'm also a people pleaser, which is not great for a boss to be a people pleaser. I'm there, right? So I called him, I was like, look, you guys, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, listen, I can't run two softwares anymore. You guys can't do both. This is this is it for us. Okay. I'm sorry. I hope there's no hard feelings. <laughs> right. Not go. bad, fam. Yeah. So then I started using the shopware. I was like, okay. All this right. is starting to make sense. This was last last summer. Yep. And and started getting some numbers, right? Started getting some thing. numbers. They were bad numbers. Yeah. But I actually had numbers yeah. for once because I didn't have numbers before. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I had nothing. No metrics. Nothing. And like Cass would be like, what's your GP? I'm like, what's a, what's that stand for? <laughs> I don't know what that means. General physician? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hang on. I think she's over in town. Yeah. So anyway, so I got hooked up. With, do we, do we guess names? Yeah. yeah. So you hooked me up with Kent Bullard yeah. of the Institute. Um, Kent called me, talked to me. It was great. He hooked me up with Mark Sewell, one of the coaches there. Yeah. So I've been with Mark since then. Mark was giving me great advice and trying to help me, but at that point, between him and me and Cass, it just wasn't connecting. The puzzle pieces were there, but we couldn't put them together. Right. Um, so I don't really – I blamed Cass at the time full wholeheartedly. You right. could probably attest to that. And I, I know that uh, Mark and probably Kent, too, can attest to that. Right. So when I went to uh, – I went to AST in September – which was cool. He, you know, he invested in a coach and he invested in sending me to AST to these classes. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, it's not all bad. But I was so frustrated. And the stuff that they were saying in these classes, I was like, there's no way. Yeah. Changing the company culture, that's not going to happen where I work. And I was so frustrated. I mean, to the point of like, thought about leaving the industry. Yeah. And it, almost mean, did. Almost, almost did. did. Almost did. Yeah. Almost left the industry. Something told me not to. And now I know that that was, like, so I was praying a lot about it. Me and my wife were. And God was just was like, stay there, pump the brakes, chill. It's going to be okay. Trust right. me. And I did. Uh, I stuck it out. And it was like two months later, I was like, Cass, I almost quit. I almost quit and just, just left. And uh, so I don't know what happened. He, he, he took his hand off the business in a big way for me. Um, and he, he started changing the company culture as a whole, both Chode Engineering Performance and Chode Diesel Solutions, he changed it as a whole. Started really having a different a different heart for his employees that that we hadn't seen yet. And a lot of it was he built that business from the ground up, and it's his baby. he'd been and he'd been burned by so many people yeah. that he had treated right. Yeah, and it once you've been burned baby, so many man. times, yeah. it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. So anyway, January one, um, Chode Diesel Solutions got its own LLC huge that was huge for me i was yeah. like okay this is something we can grow into something we want to see so as soon as that happened he's like all right we're going to franchise this it's like Cass, this is not franchisable right now <laughs> it's like this is baby levels right, right. he's stuff. like no we're going to do it we're absolutely going to do it you ready to go it's like yeah yeah okay let's go <laughs> right so got down um and mark has been helping me along the way and it, it's taking shape now it's what, a shame. what were the things that you and Mark really like? Did he come to you and say, "Hey, there's some things we got to start with"? What were the the real basic things where you you know you're looking at numbers, you're seeing what's going on? Where where did all of this kind of 
start? What was his big thing when he looked at the business and he said, hey, we got we to gotta do something about? Yeah. So the problem was I wasn't telling him what I needed from him. I think that is what was the cause of the frustration for the first six months. Okay. I was selling it. To, I was telling him basically I was the service advisor. So he was trying to teach me how to sell. Mm. Uh, we're backed up constantly like six to eight weeks. Yeah. So the selling wasn't really the, the bad point. And our upsells are pretty good still. It's just the, it's a great culture for our upsells. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like I think I told you yesterday, we had an uh, um, oil change come in. Right. And got like a $9,000 upsell, changing yeah. the whole fuel system out. So it's easy. It's, yeah. And it, I th- I'm not a great salesman. <laughs> I'm really not. Right. But so for the first little bit, it was, he was teaching me how to sell. And that actually did end up helping me later. But right mm-hmm. then it was like, okay, great. So once I, once I realized what I needed, I was like, hey, Mark, I need help with the business, running this business. He's like, oh, okay. Why don't you say that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. Well, I didn't know what running the business was, yeah. Mark. <laughs> I don't know, Mark. I don't know. So that's when he was like, let's start from the beginning. This is an SOP. This is what an SOP looks like. Yeah. He said, you need these for everything you do in the business. Mm-hmm. He says, this is what a workflow looks like. So he sent me like a 30-page example of a workflow. It's like basic SOPs yeah. all the way through the shop. Right. And starting setting those base levels and learning how to see like, okay, GP is this. GP is parts cost plus labor cost, right? <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's your total, total minus parts cost minus labor cost. That's right. your GP. Yeah. Now let's look at net profit. You got to take all this other stuff off. And I was like, oh man, it's like, it's like zero. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's, it's like, like zero. zero. <laughs> and I was like, someone's, it's like, it looks like it's under zero. He's like, yeah, that's, you're losing money. You're right. like, oh You're no. paying to come to work. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's not great, is it? He's like, that's really bad. He's like, you know, you've been frustrated with cash, but you're still in that job and you've been losing money. I was like, yeah. oh dear. Right. So that's when I was kind of like, okay, let's have an awakening. Let's start, let's start doing stuff right. And everything kind of just fell together. Yeah. I start, we started generating a profit and we're still not, not anywhere near the numbers we want to be, but we're actually turning a profit consistently hmm. and it's inspiring. So, you know, I, I think at that point in time, you really had an employee mentality, Yeah. right? You are approaching this as an employee. Absolutely. And so I think when you, People who truly care about the people that they work with, the people they work for, um, and truly care about the business, when the realization of the true numbers hit, right, like that that awakening to what net profit really is, right? right? Because I don't think there's a lot of people who truly understand it, right? And, and if, if somebody's listening and they're a technician or they're a service advisor, you need to understand what net profit is. Yeah. Right? You really need to understand. I, th- I think you can explain it to them. Because we, I, I go over my numbers with my with my staff. They they know what our break even is. They know where our sales numbers are. I don't necessarily share percentages. Yeah, I don't. Like, I don't really operate that way. Um, I I tell them I tell them what they need to know to control what they can control. Because if I if I broke it down and I, I did one time, I said, look, if we don't hit this number. This is the hierarchy of what doesn't get paid. Because yeah. if we lose money, something doesn't get paid. Yeah. The first thing that goes is this, 
And then the second thing that goes is this. And I start crossing off. It's like, well, if we don't hit this number, then I got to not pay this. Yeah. And then I don't pay this. And then I don't pay this. And said, so now we're behind the eight ball because the next month we have to, all those same bills come in, mm-hmm. but we now have to make up for what we didn't pay last month. Yeah. And so if we have a bad winter, we're paying for it in the summer and then we get behind again in the next winter. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. It is a vicious cycle. It's ugly. Um, intellectually i think they understand that they see the numbers and they're like okay that makes sense right but then they go back to the trenches and they're like the disconnect happens again because they're just oh i just got to fix this wheel bearing yeah it's like okay but remember how we just talked about this so that five thousand dollar job has to go today because that five thousand dollars doesn't collect today it has to then collect tomorrow but now that another five thousand has come in tomorrow too yeah, yeah exactly and so you're responsible for this five thousand, and then you know we have another thousand dollar job or whatever that sleeves. But we have to have this six thousand for the day, yeah. And we have to have to have another six thousand for tomorrow. It has to be consistent, and they they lose that that disconnect. So even if you sit down and you're like, oh, I can explain all these numbers to you, but they don't always put the two two the practical the practical behaviors that lead to bettering the numbers. Yeah. That's where the disconnect happens. So, okay, that's the numbers make sense. What action do I need to take tomorrow immediately to make sure that I can affect those numbers in a positive fashion? And I, I know I don't do a very good job of articulating it. And even if I do, I don't do a good job of selling it yeah. because sometimes it is like, Hey, if you hang out and watch YouTube videos for 30 minutes before you start the day, Instead of starting the day at seven fifty when you get here, you start the day at eight thirty when everybody else gets here. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, we don't finish that car because you're an hour behind. Mm-hmm. Where'd well, that hour come from? It, oh, that hour could have been made up this morning because you set the ball in motion to make sure the car yeah, got finished. I, I go through that too. I go through that too. And and here's the thing for me is that that all too often, you know, we hear this story like technicians and and service advisors say, "Well, look at all that money." they made look at that you know that's a that's five thousand dollars they made no that uh, and and you have to understand the net right because that that's not five thousand dollars that i just get to put in my pocket right right and and unfortunately many of those conversations sounds like that's what they think happens with that five thousand dollars like i'm just sticking it in the bank account i I think at this point especially if they're listening to this podcast i don't think it's anybody listening to this thing I, i really don't I don't know. We've talked about it so many times. It's like, dude, like, we don't keep any of it. The government takes a chunk. You know, yeah. Parts vendor takes the other chunk. Yeah. Then electricity, then the rent, and this, that, the other. You start like ticky tacking all the way down. And then at the end of the day, you're like, huh, well, I got 500 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you Yay. did 97,000 last month. It's like, yeah, but I got 500 bucks out of it. <laughs> so this is good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely with all this stress. <laughs> uh, right? I had stomach ulcers like three months ago. Really? Yeah. It's a thing. Maybe four months ago. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. stomach ulcers no longer are a thing, apparently, statistically oh. speaking. Now it manifests as back pain. Hmm. I have, I have that have too. stomach ulcers. What's that? I must have stomach ulcers. Because <laughs> you don't have back pain? No, I do have back pain. <laughs> you got both. No, 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 all I'm, no, I'm saying the, the stress. Yeah. A lot of it was common to see stress cause stomach ulcers, 
you don't see as many stomach ulcers anymore. Wonder. And it, it, there's a there was a precipitous drop off in the 80s going into the 90s on people having stomach ulcers. It just stopped. No stomach ulcers. It became very very less common. Hmm. And then all of a sudden there was a spike in back pain and neck pain. I wonder if that's because people used to drink a lot when they were stressed. A lot I mean, more than they did. Still drink. No, but the nineties, the nineties saw a big drop off in, in like drinking? the levels of drinking. Yeah, really, really. But yeah, they started that mothers against drunk driving. There was a bunch of campaigns in the early nineties. Oh yeah, I to stop that. that, and it it had some effect. I wonder if that's possible. Why? I, don't I, don't know. I read a whole book on it. Thank you, Kyle Logue. the The doctor said, "Yeah, it's now back pain. It used to be ulcers. Now it's back pain. Yeah, now everybody's got back pain." And it was like, I like me, a back pain all the time. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. It's stress induced. <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask you when you said that about uh, explaining that profit to your employees, what does that look like? How do you, how do you show it to them? Oh, I just run down to P and L. Okay. So you literally just show them the piece of paper. Here's oh, the, well, the, I, I, mean, I draw computer. it out, but okay. I draw it out on a whiteboard. Yeah. But <clears throat> we talk about, you know, I don't necessarily get into the expenses per se, or uh, you know, I like I shared with him the budget for the year. Yeah. Um, at the end of the year, you know, we we went through and we did goal setting and what are what do my numbers look like? Mm-hmm. What are my numbers going to look like for next year? What am I going to target? And I I didn't get into those weeds with them. If they asked, I'd be happy to share it. But you know, sometimes, like I start rattling off numbers, and, and it becomes overwhelming. It almost it it well, it's, the water. Yeah, I'm, maybe I, I get that. Well, how do you like how often but, uh, do you do it? I break it. Well, we do this weekly, so okay. we break it down to a, a break even number. Like yeah. to for us to pay the bills, and this isn't me paying myself all that much, but for me to pay the bills, I got to hit this number. Yeah, and so. It, it, like I'm really proud of one of my techs. I asked him, I'm like, what's our break even? And he he gave me the wrong number because he gave me last year's number. But he knew last year's number. He like, yeah, yeah. boom. He's like, this number. And I'm like, that's really good. It's actually $3,000 more this year yeah. than it was last year. But that's really good that he remembered because we talked about it all the time. It's yeah. like, we've got to hit this number. We've got to hit this number. Everything else doesn't matter. For you, your focus is this number. And one thing, one thing we did here very recently, it freaked my my technicians out. They they looked at me like I was, like I had two heads. I go, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna sort of stop caring about build hours. And they're like, Well, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? I said I want to focus on revenue. I want to focus on on the revenue you're generating as a technician. Um. Because once we hit a certain threshold, we can really start providing some really good benefits. I can start upping the pay quite a bit. And the other thing, too, is I I said, we're, we, I really want to start doing experiential things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go shoot some guns. Let's yeah. go go-karting. You know, just we'll just shut the shop down or do it on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon or whatever. Let's just go do something together. Uh, But that's going to cost, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, as I said, I want to cut our work year down to 50 weeks. 
and just shut the shop down for two weeks. Yeah. And it might be around ASTE, like the whole week we're, we're off. Yeah. And then between Christmas and New Year's, the yeah. whole week we're off. I said, but that, that then pushes our revenue numbers spread out over 50 weeks, not 52 weeks. So that means we have to work a little harder during yeah. the week. I, and I told them, I said, I really want to start focusing on on, on revenue generation because that, at the end of the day, I don't care that you build me out 45 hours and that guy build me 38 and that guy build me 32. Like Those numbers don't translate necessarily. It's more important that you generated me $6,000 and you generated me $12,000. That, that number's more important. Yeah. And that... For, for I, don't, I haven't fleshed it out. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm hoping to maybe give them a little bit more control over parts. Hey, make sure the right parts are on here it, because they, they offload so much of that. It's like, hey, this is broken. Go sell it. And then they're done. Yeah. And then we start the sales process. We start the estimating process. We get the parts, the, the repair sold. They come back and they're like, hey, all these other parts are broken too. I didn't notice it. Sorry. And then we got to go back and sell. So I told him, I said, I, I need this to be more collaborative. I need this to be a more collaborative effort where you're in a better line of communication with the front and you are, you guys are talking back and forth to make sure that at the end of the day, this revenue number is getting hit. Yeah. And if that means that, hey, we probably could sell this with that, you know, hey, I want to make sure I got all the parts listed on this ticket. There's ownership there. Yeah. And, and you know, on a very simple level, it could be something like the valve cover gaskets on uh, 3.7 MDX. Yeah. Okay. You do valve cover. You don't know. I don't know what the, what okay. the numbers you said. Accura MDX. Uh, valve covered gaskets are, yeah. yeah. Um, Accura MDX, uh, 3.7 liter. When you do valve cover gaskets, you almost always want to sell these O-rings on the back of the cylinder head. Yeah. Because they leak. They always leak. Or sometimes it's just the O-ring that's leaking. Well, that's going to require valve cover gaskets, the O-rings, and the plenum gasket, which gets forgotten. Mm -hmm. Most Sometimes it can be reused. But it's like a our cost, like seventy dollar plenum gasket. Yeah, yeah. And then probably should sell spark plugs too. But I'm in there already. What else should I do? Valve adjust. Okay, so now that six seven hundred dollar valve cover gasket job might be two thousand dollars because I've yeah. sold A, B, C. This is now a conversation. Do we really need to do this? That I maybe look at the map sensor voltage to see if hey, we're kind of getting close. We're out 0. Yeah. 0.98 volts instead of 0. 0.8 to 9 where I should be. This is now a conversation I can have with the customer. The technician could be feeding that information to the to the service advisor. The service mm -hmm. advisor now has ammunition to go back to the customer and say, we really should. If you want to prevent us from having to go back in there in six months because you got a weird misfire on cylinder one and we should have adjusted the valves while we were in there. I'm trying to increase that yeah I, I without like that. meddling or like i don't know i here's the thing though is i i think that and and you're right like technicians need to have a part especially when it comes to parts 
right? Technicians need to be providing that information. That has to be their responsibility. And I, that, that's a wake-up call for dealer guys, right? Like I've worked with some dealer guys, and they're like, what do you mean I need to find my parts? Well, you don't have a parts guy, right? You don't – and some shops do, but you don't have somebody who knows that vehicle and sees what you're seeing that can say, hey, you need all this, right? But it's not, it's not, just, it's not just a parts list. Mm-hmm. That's why I was trying to make the point with the 3.7. It's not just a parts list. A parts list is one thing. It's preventative maintenance. Yeah. It's additional repairs that could be done while we're in there. It's like I, I want them to take ownership of the entire ticket. I have one technician who used to get paid flat rate mm-hmm. plus a percentage of parts sold. Mm-hmm. So guess what all his tickets had? Parts. A lot of parts on it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to pay that way because I don't want to encourage nonsense. Yeah. And yeah. those places like that encourage nonsense. Like yeah. all of a sudden, every single every single brake job needs hoses, calipers, slides, and that, yeah. you know, it's, that's not necessary. It's like, does it, does it though? That, yeah, yeah, exactly. So look at this little surface rust on there. It's like, eh. So I don't want to encourage that at all. But at the same time, I do want them to take that ownership of that ticket. And that's why the shift has to be towards revenue is how much of that money is that ticket generating? And uh, some shops do it by just looking at the number, the dollar amount being estimated per invoice. Mm-hmm. Like Stefan. Yeah. He, he's got a, he owns a shop in Maryland. It's a BMW shop. I think he does Mercedes now too, doesn't he? Anyway, um, he is very specific with his tax that every car on average has to have this dollar amount because this dollar amount allows us to sell at this percentage, which then hits our average repair order, which then generates the revenue that the shop needs to be profitable. Yeah. That breaks down beautifully. That number there, if they're not hitting that number on average, because of the kind of car that he has in the area that he's in, that number is easily doable unless you are skipping steps on the inspection process. Yeah. And you are shortchanging the inspection process. And if you are, we need to have a conversation. I want to do that without doing without doing what Stefan does. I, I want to, in the estimating process, I need them to take ownership of the vehicle and start looking at things a little bit differently that enables them to then communicate properly to the service advisor. The service advisor then communicating that to the customer and then instead of good weeks we do a thousand dollar aro bad weeks we don't we more consistently hit that thousand dollar aro does that make sense not only that but you're going to keep customers from coming back in three months and be like why didn't you tell me yeah and here's the thing is we try to prevent that as best we can what i don't i i think it's a lot easier when we talk about diesel to do that yeah because they're like in, and you may not have found this yet, but a six zero, a six four, a six seven, they all have their nuances, and we yes. know because we're working on that vehicle over and over and over again. We see, you know, because when I when I first opened my shop, it was all about twenty four valve and twelve valve Cummins. Yeah, and so that's all I worked on, mm-hmm. and so I knew those trucks. Hey, you're going to have this problem. You're going to have this problem. You're going to have this problem, and you're going to have this problem. If we deal with those now, we don't have to do them all right now. But if we deal with this, plus the other things the vehicle needs, here's what you're looking at. But it's going to save you this down the road. Yeah. That's a whole lot easier to do when you're working on a single truck or a single brand or a single 
right? right? That's a lot harder when you get into one day I'm on an MDX, the next day I'm on an F-150, and the next day I'm on a Right. And and I'm not saying it's not possible. Don't don't misunderstand. I think it is. But I, I, it helps to have more technicians in your shop. And each technician is specialized. Not necessarily specialized, not specifically specialized, but you have technicians that know a particular line extremely well. Yeah. I have a tech who Chevrolet trucks. Mm-hmm. And ecotech engines all day long. If I want something done or something looked at or something like, hey, how do you handle this? That's the person I give it to because he's done tens of thousands of them at this point. Yeah. I got a Honda Acura guy and Toyota guy. Like, I got an issue. Dump it on him. And I go, hey, like, how do we deal with this weird lake? Oh, there's this little plate on the backside of the engine that needs to be gasketed. Everybody misses it. Like the guy knows yeah, because he's just experienced. I think you just, I think it'll be harder for a guy that has two techs. Yeah. Than, that's true. Then somebody with four techs in some space that all of a sudden I, I can, I can flesh this out a little easier. How many yes. techs do you guys have now? Three. Okay. Yeah. I and just got a third one recently. So the, the same two that you had had, right? Same two I had. Yeah. Yeah. So when when we started talking, there were no build hours. So the, actually, the two techs when we first started talking were different than the two techs that I had okay. three months ago, and now I've got third. But yeah, okay. So the, we didn't have hardly any build hours. No, I didn't know what that meant. Okay, and you weren't <laughs> tracking it. I wasn't tracking. You didn't it. know about it. Yeah. Where are we at now? What what's changed in that aspect? So I'm still trying to get a handle on the shopper analytics mm-hmm. um, and tracking it because I just I just started shopper analytics last month. Okay. Um, so I'm ju- I've just now started tracking it, but because I'm also on the service advisor and the customer service and parts guide, shop owner, I, I do everything. So it's it's hard to it's hard to get new ones right now. Right. Also, the inexperience lends itself to everything takes longer for me than it should. Yeah. So I, I will get a better handle on it, but now I am starting to see like. Okay, look, you only turn 28 hours this week. This what what's wrong? And I the best thing is now I can take it to them and say, "What's the issue?" And they can tell me what the issue is. Whereas before I was like, everything's it's going downhill. I don't know. Yeah. It's burning. Yeah. Run. Well, I mean, you know, the airplane's on fire. Yeah. And all, uh, if all you can think about is well, get out of the airplane, I mean, you're not thinking about the process to get the airplane back on the ground. Yeah. Right? And that's the same thing with business ownership. If you don't know and and I'm super appreciative of my first coach because he he set me down and he gave me this KPI tracking worksheet. Yeah. And so every day I put the numbers in it. And over time, because I'm putting the numbers in it every day, I'm beginning to see when I do something, how, how my action, how that emotional discounting caused my parts GP to come down. So therefore, every day. See, I don't, I don't do any of that because that takes time and effort. No, and no, I don't like to do. On, let me. I don't do it now. I don't do it now. I'm saying what I liked about it was, and I hated it. I effing hated it, but it taught me what affected those numbers. So now, yeah, I'm if here, you don't, yeah, if you don't, if you don't understand the numbers and like which dial to turn, then yeah, that's a good exercise. Yeah. My my first coaching company used to tell me you come in and you take 15 minutes of executive time. Because yeah. as soon as like the shop opens up and then the fires start and then you're just running around That's all putting out fires. Yep. So you have to come in early 
and you have to take your 15 minutes of exe- uh, of executive time and that's essentially what you do is they like put your numbers in read your numbers see yeah. where you're at see what bills need to be paid see what like pressing matter check your emails do that kind of stuff and then when the shop opens and the fire start then you don't have to worry about it yeah you're more at ease and you're not putting it out no you don't get any of these but you're not neglecting key aspects of gotcha. the business okay. that need to be handled because you took your 15 minutes of executive time. That's yeah. what that's what she called it, which is yeah. fantastic advice for somebody yeah. that's getting started. For me, though, I, I got to the point where I knew what what dials to turn. I know what dials to turn, mm-hmm. and I can look at my numbers. Well, like we don't look get into the analytics on Shopware. I don't. I have it. Yeah, I I just don't use it. Okay. You just look because at the build hours on the reports page. Or I, I go to the reports page. So he does the same thing. Now, he wouldn't admit to it, maybe. Maybe he will. No, I well, like, I can see the snapshot of my week, and I go, I can know, why were we successful this week? Because we hit this number and this and this many cards. Like, the numbers, are, at the end of the day, are really, really simple. Yeah. They're not overly complicated. Yeah. When you get When you open up the analytics, and analytics is great when you want to go, I need to figure out what market I need to drive more like what's the most profitable market I can I can go after. And then you break it down and you're like, oh, I see the Chevrolets mm-hmm. of this particular year's. Okay. Then I can go to my marketing person and say, Hey, can you find me these own vehicle owners? What area do they live in? Then look at the geographic area and you can then analyze and figure out, well, if I send these kind of postcards, I'm gonna or hey, I do really well with Hyundai's, so I'm going to start slapping Hyundai's in all my marketing pieces yeah. as a sort of a dog whistle to all the Hyundai owners. Go, hey, they work on Hyundai's. I'm going to go there. But you you don't need to do that on a daily basis. That's You're talking like... Well, if I don't have time to do other stuff, I definitely don't have time to do that. <laughs> right. But I, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of shop owners, they overwhelm themselves with the information that's available, and they're like... Ah, there's there's so many numbers and analytics and it's like yeah there is dude I know, but shopper in particular because the GP optimizer Mm -hmm. does a lot of the work for you. Yes, it does. You just turn it on and kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. Where listen to it though, you can't override it. You have to avoid overriding it. But and I. I. the the number of people who are complaining saying we need a matrix. I was told we're going to have a matrix. I that drives me nuts. And, uh, these are sophisticated shop owners, the ones that are saying that, and they're used to having a matrix. And then they go into shopware and they're like, "There's no matrix." It's like, "Yeah, there's no matrix. Let it go. It'll it'll be fine. Don't worry about it." They want the control, and I can understand that. I can understand. But that. I was helping a shop owner. This was years ago. I was helping a shop owner. He was looking at his parts. And he's like, my my parts and numbers are off. Typically, when your part numbers are off, your matrix is wrong. There's discounting going on, or your parts are slipping through the cracks. That's it. Yeah. Usually, that's that's all that's involved. You mean like you're buying parts and putting them on vehicles, and it's not at the end, and it's not getting built. Yeah. Okay. So how do you fix those three things? I told him. I said, well, is there discounting? You can look at your numbers and see if there's discounting. And he went through, he did a ticket audit. Yeah. He's like, no, there's no discounting. And he's, he's sticking to the numbers. Like, okay, let's look at your price, your matrix. And the matrix was like five levels. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you need like 30. 
because between these dollar amounts here, your yep. the bulk of your sales are in these dollar amounts. Let's break it apart and see. We can probably squeeze more money out of this. Yeah. And so he went through. I didn't do it for him. He went through and he broke that sucker down. He had like thirty levels on his matrix. You yeah. could see. And he's like, yeah, you know, I can make another like ten thousand dollars a year if I just bump this one level up. Great, do that. But what he found out was he wasn't. A lot of stuff was slipping through the cracks. Yeah, parts were getting ordered, never billed. They'd show up on the P and L, and he's thinking he's generating this kind of gross profit margin. He'd look at the P and L, and his numbers are off. Yeah, and he's like, oh, that's a crap. So it's then, free parts. Yeah, you can't do yeah. free parts. The folder system is how he he's. Now I don't know what he's if he's still doing that, but the folder system was the easiest way for him to fix that. Right, all the invoices go into one folder for that particular row. Then you open it up at the end before you bill finish the billing and make Match sure every single part has made yep. it onto that ticket. But that's it. The simple it's it's like simple actions. Yeah, that thirty step matrix is. The GP optimizer now yep, without yep. having to build yep. a 30, Absolutely. 30 level matrix. You don't have to do that. It'll tweak it out. The other thing too is what a lot of a lot of shops don't realize. When I was when I was in the parts store, the parts store made a ton of money on brake pads. Mm-hmm. Easily the like number one selling part in, in at any parts store is, yeah. is brake pads. Yeah. And there was a middle of the road brake line that was the 80% of the sales. You had a cheap line, you had the middle of the road, and then you had a premium line, and then we started introducing ultra premium lines and like specialty lines for heavy duty trucks and that kind of thing. Yeah. 80% of the sales were that one brake line. Yeah. Okay. So what would they what they would do on the weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the price went up a dollar. Hmm. And that would just get sent in from the mothership, just bloop, and you'd see the pricing adjustment pop up on on Thursday, Thursday night. Friday you would open, they would all be a dollar more. A dollar. Nobody notices. No. On Monday morning, the price would come back down another dollar. Bloop. And then Monday through Thursday, you'd run with the dollar less price. Yeah. Nobody would notice. But that adjustment padded their bottom line. Yeah, they didn't have to do anything else. One dollar difference. That one dollar difference meant tens of thousands of dollars that particular month, hundreds of thousand dollars for that store, spread out over thousands of stores. That is huge money going in and just adjusting that one dollar. That one dollar. And and here's the thing: is that the consumer never noticed. The consumer right. never notices. Right. Because the dollar consumer. doesn't mean much to one individual well, person. Well, I mean, but that's just it. It's like we, we worry about, you know, most of these tickets, right? If our GP's low, most of these tickets, we're talking about 15 to $18 on some of this. Yeah. Right? Do you think the consumer's going to notice 15 to $18? Right? I, I, I will say diesel's a little different. Diesel's no, expensive. It's not. It's not. No. It's expensive. No, it's not. It's Man, not. It, 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 the, I have, listen, I have been through this with a diesel shop after diesel shop. I started as a diesel shop, and everybody says, oh, but I'm diesel. I can't, I can't make my part margins if I'm diesel. They're too expensive. Yeah. You can't. Okay, well, I have started. Okay, I, I, I have actually. <laughs> now that I think about it, I have just been holding myself to the, to the uh, what's it called, the optimizer, and people still 
They, they don't care. They you're just get, hey, how, also, what's it uh, going to cost to fix my truck? Yeah. $9,000. Oh, okay, thanks. And, uh, and that's, a, that's the end of the conversation. Dollars. Like I, if it doesn't go, well, you know, that bolt there shouldn't be $11. It should be $8. Why you guys start marking it up another $3? Like Nobody gets into the weeds like right. that. Yeah, but when I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, no, that shouldn't be that much. Well, but my, it, my point in the optimizer is that you, as it's adjusting your pricing through to try to hit that target GP, yeah, it's doing what every other retailer does on a daily basis. Every other retailer, Walmart does it. Everybody does it. And it's automated. They're, and the, they're the, automatic. The, every single day, there's a lady or a guy that walks through the aisles at Walmart and changes the prices. Mm-hmm. Every single day, they're marking some things up and some things down because they've got computer systems that are tweaking those prices yep. daily and, to hit certain metrics. And I, if you knew how many shop owners have complained saying, oh, I, I don't like the optimizer because it, it could adjust it and it could charge one person one price and another person another price yeah <laughs> no crap <laughs> no crap you start the day off early and that milk is five dollars and twelve cents by the end of that day that milk might be five dollars 89 cents mm-hmm. you just got there at the wrong time they had already changed the price on yeah. there what are you gonna do they well, need to hit that extra 70 cents or whatever to hit yeah. their numbers and they're adjusting constantly yeah. it makes sense right when you say like this it extrapolates perfectly yeah i understand that okay well, like shipping rates right so our shipping quotes are good for like 48 hours. Yeah. That's it. Uh, past that, you don't know because you don't know what the fuel is going to do. You don't know yeah. anything. Exactly. And so, yeah, that makes sense. It, and, and, it and, wasn't. It, it's crazy. The mindset. I, I think for me, like one of the, the biggest uh, eye openers was oil. When I started, when I opened my shop up, I think it was charging two forty nine a quart, and I just I don't know where I came up with that $2. number. Two dollars and forty nine cents for a quart of oil. Yeah, this what? was this was eleven years ago. That's not that long ago. I know to be that cheap. That's that's what I was charging. Wow. I think I was paying maybe I don't know a buck fifty for the quart of oil or something like that. Yeah, and right. w- the the big shift was I I ran out of oil, called the parts store up. Hey, how much for a case of this much? And and you're like, well, hold on now. You're charging five dollars a quart for this like conventional garbage oil. And they're like, yeah. What's the retail on that? That's oh, five forty nine a quart. And people are paying it. Yeah. How am I charging two forty nine for? Like, holy crap! And so I just started jacking my prices up. <laughs> yeah. I you know. I think we get into our own heads. Oh yeah, and we get stuck every day. And and you know the Eric Merchant who is here, right? Yeah, big diesel shop. I right? still haven't met him. Right? I, I mean, go like he's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and like super well known. Yeah, super well known, especially in the Duramax world. Yeah. And and you know Eric had this like hardcore realization, like, hey, if it wasn't for the parts business, the shop. Like what I started doing, like where this all came from, wouldn't even be in existence anymore because it's not making any money. Yeah, and and in some ways, that's what happened with you guys is because the 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 engine business Mm -hmm. when it took off, it was subsidizing Mm -hmm. the the repair business, and and thankfully, right. And and we talk about Paul Danner. Paul Danner did a video um, where he's talking about like, hey, we're fixing this vehicle that nobody else could fix. We got to charge for it. Like it's not fair to not charge for it. 
And and so just like with Cass, just like with Eric, just like with Paul, I mean, these are super well-known people. They should be charging a premium for this service because people are coming to them because they want this service and they're afraid to charge it. And so what do they do? They end up damaging the reputation because they're not charging enough to provide the quality service and stamp behind the product the way they should. Yeah. And if they do, they're taking the money out of their own pocket, out of the other business to pay for that screw up. And then they get uber frustrated. They get so mad and so aggravated because now... The numbers suck. Right. The numbers suck. And so what do you do? You're, you're pulling your personal money to fix this, so you're aggravated. Whereas if we just charge what we need to charge to begin with for a supreme service that nobody else in the country can offer, I mean, it's like, you know, you watch these these high-end law cases, right? Like the, the Murdoch case or whatever in Georgia. You know what I'm talking about, Murdoch? No. Uh, the dude that it's like super famous and, right now. Killed his wife and son. I mean, his legal team's like millions of dollars a yeah. week. And it's like, well, but I wanted the best. <laughs> well, I mean, so you're telling me like the best is going to charge me, you know, the $500 or whatever, or I'm going <laughs> to, I really shouldn't pay because there's public defense attorneys. I'll just get me one of those. Right? I mean, do you, do you, are you going to get the same result with a public defense attorney as you are with a, I mean, he's going to, <laughs> It's not going to help him in his yeah. case. He's in trouble no matter yeah. what. He, but, he got convicted. He's yeah. guilty. But, uh, but other every other case is different. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> you know they didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, you know they well, didn't do it. Who is this yeah. person? Murdoch? Yeah, it's M. Murders. It's uh, M-E-R-D-A-U-G-H. Yeah, Murdoch. Yeah. He killed yeah. his wife and or son. M-U-R. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Over what? Other people what happened? Too. Uh, it's, like, it's it was a like a trail of murders, that, or like a trail of deaths that followed him around. Yeah. And, he and he, just he's now, like super famous. He's like a he's like a world known defense attorney or yeah. something like that. Like the his family basically runs this town for the last like four generations. Yeah. No, they this were uh, they were the they were the prosecutors. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's they were the right. prosecutors. It, yeah. He wasn't a defense attorney. He was a yeah. prosecutor. My wife's been following this, so I've been but, getting I've been getting the updates. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Though? Like seriously, think about that. Like yeah. he goes and pays millions and millions of dollars for this like elite team this elite defense attorney to get him out of this trouble and knowing that it's probably not going to work anyway. I mean, he, yeah. at this point he's delusional anyway, like you can watch how he acts. But I guess my point is, is like if I own a shop and I am the elite shop, nobody else can do the job that I can do. Why in the hell am I worried about charging less than everybody else? Yeah. It does not make sense. Yeah. I will say I've seen some examples of that lately here too. So I've got a guy that's sending me a 97 E three fifty. Mm-hmm. He I'm works. Sorry. Sick. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's a, just wait till you see the, the invoice. It's you won't feel. <laughs> so he uh he owns a company that does like overlanding stuff and they mm-hmm. they they do special builds and they they do like um um remote power sources and stuff like that. And he called me and he's like, Hey, I want a five hundred horsepower seven three. Okay then. All right. Okay. Is that hard to do? Yeah. Really? Reliably. Yeah, reliably. Reliably is tough. So anything what, What's up with these trucks doing a thousand horsepower or whatever? Well, that, that's seven three was Huey back engine, in the 90s. Right? Yeah. 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 It's all oil pressure driven. Oh, okay. Whereas a 6.0 can get to it easier than a 7.3, but a 7.3 oh, yeah. is, it's, it's tough to get that, squeeze okay. that horsepower. And, and especially, especially on a old tired block, right? You'll blow a rod out the side yeah. pretty quick. I mean, where we're putting, I mean, we're building it pretty good. It's fully sleeved. Yeah. It's got girdle on the bottom. I mean, it's great. So he's like, he's like, you need you to build me this quote. So I contacted um, somebody that helps me out with a bunch of builds, Matt Meyer, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, here's what you need. All new fuel system, new air. It's like 
bigger turbo, all this stuff, right? I'm like, okay, I build it up, and he's getting the Casquatch engine, which is good up to like 600 horsepower for a 7.3, probably more. But yeah. um, it's it's the highest reliability build. It's the beefiest build we'd have for mm-hmm. all our platforms. And I sent it to him. We've been, we've, we've been talking back and forth, and it was like, it's, it's, it was a big bill. I mean, it's like, it's like $70,000 right now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is like twice as much as anybody else has quoted me. I was like, yeah, I know it is. I said, <laughs> I said, do people come to you because they want the cheapest price? Is that why they visit your company? Are you going to give them the, the budget or are you going to give them the best? He was like, oh, okay. Let's do it. He said, let's talk. <laughs> so he's, yeah. So it's yeah. going to be like $85,000 by the time he. Holy moly. Right. On an E350 on any Ford. But it's, 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 it's his show van. Oh, hey, those, hey, you watch it, buddy. Those, um, <laughs> those overland vans. Right, they mm-hmm. were a, a lot of them were built by Quigley, yeah, and so they are, dude. They they are expensive. Yeah, I mean they were expensive from Quigley. What's an overland van? I don't know. Like, no, nah, dude, they, they're like they'll lift them and put whole like suspension systems and all. Oh, yeah. A lifted van. Systems. We're putting all a rollover hazard. So yeah. Uh, they're pretty heavy. He goes, yeah. Just be, take her easy. You know? No, we're doing a full suspension setup. We're doing an Allison conversion, brand new rear end. Uh, it's it, four wheel drive conversion. It's it's a bunch of stuff. So, but he's taking it to SEMA, right? Oh well, yeah. Okay. So he and he's gonna he's gonna live in it as he drives it across to these different shows. <laughs> oh, no pressure for me, right? Like I hope this works. This is my yeah, house now. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that quickly builds GMs, Transits, Nissans, and Ford E Series. Okay. Right. And they like that, it is, that I've seen before. Like the, the sprinters that are like lifted up and they yeah. look like they're motorhomes, kind of, sort of. Yeah. But a 97 E350 like that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I see. It's going to be awesome. It yeah, really those is. Those are cool. You should have it at SEMA this year. That's cool. So we've not hope. said enough things to make Cass mad at us. No, I was, I was afraid. That's, I was, I was pretty worried we would. Right. I was, I was going to, we're do- trying to reel it back. You were going like down a dark path. Poor Cass. I don't know who he is. Cass is awesome. <laughs> he was supposed to be here. About everybody. He was supposed to be here, but he's too busy. That's <laughs> been that has been the story every single time. I think that's going to be my story next year. He I'm came to PRI. To just too busy. Were you guys at PRI? No, I don't know what that is. No, performance racing industry. Oh, no, it's pretty awesome. You need it to is. go. It's really? pretty cool. There's it so is. much stuff there. Oh, you've been there? No, I've not been, but like, <laughs> pretty cool. It, it was like it's so the expo floor is about like eight times the size of this one, maybe. Sure. And it's race cars, anything you can think. It sounds like SEMA. It's not. It's not SEMA. They don't have any rims there. <laughs> <laughs> they have everything at SEMA. I know. I haven't been to fancy SEMA. wax. So oh, you've never SEMA. been to no, SEMA I'm going this year. Oh yeah. So they're like where where that's all race. They have this, but it's yeah. huge, and they have. It's like show stuff, right? Like show cars. Uh, they have show stuff, but there's a lot of like tool manufacturers and okay. CNC machine manufacturers and body and frame. Oh, you want to see body Cass frame out. straightening things? You want to see Cast nerd out? Lead him to the CNC stuff. And he, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Eyes glaze over. Yeah, starts drooling. On you can't stuff. drag him away. Cast, it's time to eat. We have to go eat lunch now, or you're going to be hungry later. <laughs> That's it. There's machines here. I can't leave. I don't know. I have to see this. Well, you were talking about experiential stuff you like to do for your guys. We've started, CAS started a program this year of how we're going to, it's a reward system for employees to get to go to SEMA and PRI, and we're going to Ultimate Call. you got to go to Apex, though. 
<clears throat> Got to go to Apex. What, what's Apex? Apex Next is, to SEMA. It's okay. a, yeah. It's, but it's, oh, it's, 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 it's the thing right before it, right? Yeah. Me and Mark were talking about that, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I think he's speaking at Apex. Dude, nice. I'm going to tell you what. I, Apex is... I submitted my class. Did You'd you? You'd be proud of me. Did they I doubt I'll get it, but... Oh, I don't know. No. They, they won't... I think the six is the cutoff, and then they'll... A couple weeks later, they'll, yeah. they'll announce who's going to be doing it. It, you know, the training classes are amazing, but the, the show floor at Apex. Yeah. And and the networking is like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. Like you will not see something like that anywhere else. And the Well, it's vision but bigger. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Massive. And and the, the this show is, this has been awesome. Dude, you imagine the show floor like times ten. Yeah, yeah. it's it's way bigger. Right? And yeah. and so you go in, you get to see the lifts in operation, you get more time with the vendors. It, it's a it's a show the entire time, whereas this is just like a two day show. Yeah. This is a, a, a massive show that goes on nonstop. And so you really get to get in and see the equipment work and see equipment that, that like, I, I came here for the first time and I thought, wow, there's a lot of equipment at this show. And then I go there and I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, like you would never way think more about. niche vendors. Yeah. Like, yeah. Plastic vendors that sell, yeah, plastic clips. And you're like, they make this? Yeah. Yeah, we make this. Oh, you guys are terrible at marketing because I've never heard of it. Yeah, that's, that's all you make? How do you. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, All right. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.